This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hello. Hey, guys, we're here with my friend Mike Kent and um, CEO and co-founder of Asimo and of many other businesses he's going to um, talk us about. And uh, Mike, it's good to see you. Yeah, person. great to be here. Yeah, it's fantastic. Finally. Yeah. And um, so we were talking about the fact that um, we met back in 2013. That was probably the last Inno try before I left, uh, I left Swift. Yes, and I always thought Swift innovation was an oxymoron. Exactly. It's like military intelligence. Exactly, there. exactly. And, and since then, Asimo has done an incredible journey. So why don't you talk us a little bit about uh, this last decade and a half of, of FinTech uh, with the Asimo story embedded in it? Oh, the decade and a half. So um, I was very lucky that I came to, we didn't even call it FinTech, I came to um, payments and financial services quite early. I set up my first business in 2005 with a guy who you know well, actually, Ricky, uh, of my business partner. Uh, and we did we did a um, financial services roll-up. So we bought lots of businesses in, in remittances uh, and then we put them together. We sold it to a private equity firm. So that was kind of like our, our first our first go. But we could just see that all of our customers were starting to use mobile phones for, you know, to go around their day-to-day -day business. And the business that we'd built was very traditional. It had shops and agents and stores on the high street. Um, so we set out to, I think we wanted to spend $50,000 and spent a bit more of that over the, <laughs> over the years um, to, to build an app that would allow people to do the same thing that they do with a Western Union or MoneyGram. Um, and I think, um, I think our timing was probably quite good. Um, so yeah, we, 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 hit the, we hit the FinTech wave. The company is now eight years old, um, Asimo. It's a cross-border payments company. So it allows you to send money to, I think now uh, 190, I don't know how many countries there are in the world, but it's not, it's not many more than that, uh, 190 countries around the world. And we aim to make it instant. So it's just meant to be a very easy way of people to, to push money from, from one country to the other. And we started um, doing, uh, basically UK to Poland, that's a big market, um, and yeah, now it's it's from all over Europe, it's from Australia, it's from Canada, it's from um, Hong Kong, um, and yeah, it's been it's been an amazing ride, and I'm just incredibly lucky to have, uh, yeah, to, to be, to, to, I guess, been, been in this amazing sector that we call home, which is fintech, um, and, and obviously, yeah, I guess, have, being an entrepreneur for, for the last um, sort of eight years in digital, you just see all these other great companies coming along. So it's, it's great to be here at Money 2020, see all these guys, reconnect with people, hear people's stories. Everyone's, you know, had a bit of a tough time, I think emotionally for the last 18 months, but actually in terms of the market, it's been phenomenal. So Absolutely. great to be here. How, how did, uh, like, uh, if, if we take the point of view of the user, yes, you know, how this experience changed, you know, joining the course of the past, uh, you know, few few years, because at the beginning, the experience was very basic, right? And yeah. also the services were, were limited. 
how did this experience like grew? Um, so, so the big thing for us has been, we always aim to be very, very cheap. Um, good value, be cheap, but um, uh, so, so actually the, the underlying infrastructure in all the countries that we connect to, so in places like Africa or, or India or the Philippines, um, has become much, much better. So it used to be that we would terminate payments, you know, sometimes in a few hours, sometimes next day, um, because the, just the, the, the clearing mechanisms in those countries were not great. Uh, now, I think 80% of our transactions are within, within one hour, 50% of them are instant, you know, so you hit a button, bang, and the money is there. Um, and so that's been a big, that's been a big change for us is the, the just the total, the increase in speed. Um, and then of course the other big change, which COVID has just accelerated was, you know, it took quite a, quite a lot of persuasion um, for us to get customers using an app for financial services. Um, because that wasn't necessarily something they did. Quite a lot of people had a very traditional relationship with their bank. And so for us to say, well, no, look, don't use Western Union, use us. It's cheaper and it's faster and it's much more convenient. We had to do quite a lot of customer persuasion. But these days, you know, you had 18 months that you couldn't go to any stores, you couldn't go to any banks. And so, you know, the acceleration of, of, of digitization um, in financial services has been a very good win for us. And it's kind of pushed us along very fast. So that's great. So, uh, you know, you, you mentioned the Western Union and the, the, the monogram of this, this world that were like cl clear competitors, right, at the yes. beginning. But now one could argue that, uh, you know, the, the, the rise of the digital banks, you know, that are, of course, cross-border by definition in Europe. And, you know, there are a couple of future, hopefully, unicorns that are emerging in Africa as well in terms of like the neo banks or digital banks. Do you see them, uh, you see these two services sort of uh, uh, completing each other or you see them as a competitor? I think the whole thing about payments, you've been working in this sector for ages, is it's, it's, it's what my old boss at WPP, uh, Martin Sorry, used to call kiss and punch. You know, so half the time you're working together and the other time you're sort of competing like mortal enemies. But it does, you know, um, so we work with Interswitch and we work with Flutterwave, um, which I think, you know, both fit, uh, Nigerian fintech unicorns. We work with DLocal, um, again, you know, uh, business is doing phenomenal stuff in emerging payments. So we work with all of those ecosystems. We terminate money into new bank wallets um, instantly in Brazil. Uh, and, and, and a lot of our customers are actually, we, we, we see which banks they're sending from and increasingly people are sending from places like Monzo um, or they're sending from uh, banks like Starlink. So we're starting to see things change. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we try and be the connective tissue. We don't really mind where you're sending money from or where you're sending money to. Um, ultimately, this is, and I was having this uh, late night conversation uh, with somebody, I, I don't know where it ends. I mean, I think probably you end up with some very, quite diversified, large payment uh, businesses. You know, PayPal are buying up all sorts of businesses. Visa are buying up all sorts of businesses. So I think eventually you might, you might see that, you know, payments, become, um, international payments becomes one of a number of things that people do. Um, but yeah, I, that, and, and we, we honestly, we don't see that much competition from the, from the neo banks yet. Now, I'm sure they're going to come, you know, they look at the amount of money that, that people like Revolut have raised, it's, it's, it's coming. Um, but yeah, at the moment, it's just, uh, yeah, the market is big enough for everyone. And I think that there are very few players that can claim to, that, who, which can claim 
to have uh, such a global uh, footprint uh, as yours, right? Because uh, maybe you might face competition in Europe, uh, let's say, between uh, you know two transfer-wise or two leveled clients. Yes. But no one can send money pretty much from anywhere to anywhere at a decent cost, or, or very few players can, right? That's true. So there's, there's good and bad about being based in Europe. But let's focus on the good, which is we had to be multilingual, multi-currency, multi-corridor, you know, multi-bank integration from day one. You know, in America, these guys are just, you know, you focus on the Mexican corridor, Filipino corridor, Indian corridor, and you're done. That's still 80% remotely are going public this week. Um, and that's still 80% of their business. Phenomenal business, by the way. Matt has executed brilliantly. Huge fan. Um, for us, we had to be a Euro to be a European specialist. We had to do all of this stuff because there's no monster corridor. So we had to build these integrations. It's really hard work. We still have a big team um, of you know really dedicated boys and girls building these integrations into all these different banks. And we're not even halfway done. Um, but it does mean that that sort of that network and that that connectivity that sits underneath you know the Asimo app. And those integrations that's that's a bit of a yeah that, that's what the thing we're probably most proud of i wouldn't i wouldn't want to call it a moat but it's it's you know it's it's something that we, we had to do because we're european but now we've done it we're pretty pleased with it so mike what's cool in payments wow um it's it's an incredibly exciting time isn't it so um i'm really excited about buy now pay later and i think you know the the clanas and the afterpays are just the tip of that iceberg so you're starting to see verticalized uh, BMPL. Um, so people finding new ways to pay for things like healthcare or automotive or those big purchases that people make. So um, I think that you're going to see a lot of that in, and, and again, Europe, lots of little, little markets, all that need, um, all that don't work for consumers. So, you know, tackling that, I think is exciting. Open banking is finally coming of age. So, you know, we've, we're starting to see more and more people use open banking from Adasimo, but also, you know, once you have that financial information, you can do lots of exciting stuff on compliance and KYC and, um, you know, targeting and but so that's all of those open banking businesses you know the plumbing's there and so I think people are now for focusing on what can we do that with that ecosystem and that and information so that's that's super exciting you do have actually you know a, a pretty good deal with the tandem bank right which is one by the way of my dear invest previous investees company with the media network remember? Ah, yes yeah thank you for that um, yeah no so yeah tandem gave us a good um, Understand, and the UK was very much at the front of open banking. Uh, PSD2 when it came out, they sort of adopted it uh, a lot faster than some of the other markets. So yeah, we do have it, and so yeah, really exciting to see what happens with open banking. I think also people like Tink getting acquired by Visa. Now some people might say that the sector's done, but I think generally when something gets acquired by Visa, it, it starts off a, a new wave of innovation. So you're going to start seeing some, some really interesting small uh, open banking companies become quite large over the next two, three years. And I love payment orchestration. Um, and that's just me being a payments geek. But uh, as more and more companies become focused on trying to you know, accept and, and issue digital money, um, I, I think the ability to do that for non-fintech companies is in an easy, fast, um, and I guess straightforward and, and low-cost way is, is going to be exciting. So I guess that's embedded finance and, and orchestration, I think, are going to be the, the, the big trends for the next five years. But hey, what do I know? You know, I should be asking you this question. You're, payment you're, 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 orchestration guy, you know, guys. Yes, payment yeah. orchestration is going to be the, like, the new buzzword after embedded finance, I guess. I, th I, think, I think orchestration is going to be huge because, you know, now you've got all of these API businesses 
but somebody needs to control all of the all of the interfaces that you have with these API businesses. So I think you know the we used to very boringly used to call it middleware, but something that, that allows you to control um, and, and work a central workflow and, and, and orchestrate these these different um, pieces of software is going to be you know those those, those companies are going to be very valuable. Guys, that was my first interview at Money 2020 with Breaking Banks Europe, and I'm super happy that I've done it with a good friend. Mikey, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Always an honor. Good to see you. And it's a wrap. The FTS Fest is back. As 2021 develops, it will become more and more apparent how this year can truly mark the start of a second fintech revolution. Starting with a focus on sustainability, financial inclusion and impact investing, topics that today must be considered transversely, we'll explore trends that are already shaking up the industry, such as embedded and decentralized finance spotting. Be part of the fintech revolution 2.0. Join FTS Fest. Hey guys, welcome back to Breaking Banks Europe at Money 2020. I'm still Matteo Rizzi surviving the third day of the conference and I'm here with Pavel, CEO and co-founder of Wirex. Pavel, welcome from the show, to the show. Hello everyone and uh, thank you for having me. So we were sort of preparing the, the show earlier and I was telling, you know, I, I had the pleasure to uh, meet Pavel just, uh, uh, you know, a few moments ago. Uh, I mean, yesterday, technically, but uh, we never met. We never sort of uh, our path never, never crossed. And uh, and I was telling that it would be great to talk a little bit about the genesis of, of Wirex because, uh, you know, me being like around for a little while, uh, I think that, uh, you know, for the things I've heard, Wirex things seems one of the best kept secrets so far of uh, of the fintech uh, of the fintech space or kind of so sell me sell me your stuff pavel okay uh, let me maybe start with uh, a couple of things about warex so warex uh, is a london-based fintech with four million customers more than four million customers in more than 100 countries um, at the moment, we are the global leader of cryptocurrency payment uh, industry. Uh, our main product uh, is basically a wallet where you can have your traditional funds like GBP, pounds, euro, uh, and uh, fully featured cryptocurrency wallets. You can exchange one to another, you can send, receive uh, any form of money, and you can uh, use these funds with uh, Visa, or MasterCard, the Warex card, basically. Um, we are the only company, the only crypto company in the world who are principal member of Visa and MasterCard. Um, yeah, that's basically the, you know, the overview about us, uh, and it's, it's where we are right now, but uh, we started a uh, long time ago in 2015 uh, with uh, idea to make Bitcoin spendable. That's interesting. So it looks like Pavel, you're a little bit at the crossroads of the of the two worlds, like a mountain. You know, on the one side you got the crypto world, and on the other side you got like the regular one, like the the classic e-money e-money license. And what are like the value-added services that uh, you can that you thought of that could actually uh, 
cross leverage you know both these sides i mean it's pretty clear the one you know for the for the currencies the fact that i suppose you can move money pretty easily and a very little cost between one currency to another and that's like uh, the 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 more known sort of side of the mountain but talk us a little bit more uh, through the value-added services on the other side the crypto side mm -hmm. Uh, well, you're absolutely right, absolutely right, because there are two main groups of companies, you know, one just focusing on more kind of traditional uh, fintech uh, or like a challenger bank experience. And another group of companies is just pure crypto uh, without licenses available everywhere and then these sort of things. But I think the, the trend we see right now is that these two groups, they uh, started moving towards each other. We can see more kind of traditional players like PayPal. They started adding cryptocurrency functionality, which is in a bit limited form, uh, but anyway. And we can see that cryptocurrency companies they moving towards more kind of traditional plays. Some of them are trying to get licenses. Some of them trying to get uh, more kind of banking or payment integration. I think it's still early days, but we see it's a clear trend. Uh, we were focusing on this kind of merging with two ecosystems for a long, long time. Uh, and uh, answering your question, uh, there is a still big demand for crypto on-ramp and off-ramp. So uh, there are a lot of exchanges, there are a lot of companies where you can buy and sell cryptocurrency, but it's still not easy to go from traditional currency to digital. Yes, you can do it right now, but usually it's done via different middlemen and you say you, you, you lose time, you lose money on, on different uh, different step. In our case, uh, it's instant, it's at very competitive rate, so you can go from one currency to another. It doesn't matter if you, you know, exchanging pounds to euros or pounds to Bitcoin and uh, these sort of things. But on top of that, we offer, uh, we have a product called X Accounts, so basically, X accounts, it's an interest earning product. So we, we can pay you interest on your Bitcoin, it's up to 6%. And we can also pay uh, interest on stable coins up to 12%, which is, which is huge compared to more kind of traditional services. Uh, interest generated in DeFi, and we just put it in very user-friendly way for general crowd to, uh, to, to, to use it. Let me let me actually stop you here because mm -hmm. uh, I like a lot this sort of unique uh, democratization factor uh, for the DeFi space, right? And you know, I I have like some stable coins, like non-conventional crypto, you know, rather small quantities, and. Uh, and I enter the DeFi like the hard way, right? So mm. open an account on Coinbase Pro, you know, the, the uh, uh, USSD, uh, right? Um, uh, uh, conversion, and then put it in a, in, a, in a third party portal that eventually what part of it does a sort of a roadmap advisor and a part of it does like more stable, like DeFi lending. But it's hard, you know, and, you know, I had to call my 17 years old son to help me to do this. Now, something completely different, which I understood from your words that uh, YREX is doing, is that uh, I can actually, you know, get my uh, X thousands of uh, euros uh, 
convert them in the app into a crypto and then basically you know apply for for example a, a DeFi loan or not apply but lend money through the platform directly and earn interest is, is what you guys are doing yeah you're absolutely right and um, so DeFi is an industry known for its you know high yield opportunities a lot of you know success stories uh, but there are a few challenges so you you mentioned one because you it, it complexity right so you need to be uh, IT savvy in order to understand how it works, in order to understand what MetaMask and, you know, or if you're using your Ledger wallet. And there are a lot of kind of, you know, steps you need to go through. You need to convert your fiat to USDC or other stablecoin and then put it on um, you know, DeFi. And on top of that, you will probably need to pay gas fees uh, in Ethereum, which is huge at the moment. Yeah. So what we did, we just take this complexity away and it's exactly what we do on the, on the back end, but for customers, the, the user journey is quite simple. You put euro or put pounds in Warex app. You don't even need to convert it in stable coins. You just put it in X account, and we do all the conversion on the back end. Okay, and how the account is deciding, uh, you know, where, where to put the money, or you just have like a one uh, sort of uh, lending platform for everybody? How does it work? Uh, we have a couple. We work with uh, the, the best DeFi projects in the space. So we're working with Aave, we're working with Uniswap, and we're working with One Inch. And there are different strategies how you can generate yield based on the currency. Uh, but yeah, the idea is that it's not one platform, it's not one pool, but we have a kind of a, a selection on the best uh, DeFi projects. That is actually generally interesting guys and by the way i didn't know this before starting the interview i think that uh, there is an enormous chance here to give access to an alternative type of investments to people that are uh, like me for example convinced that decentralization is the future so it, it is not and by you know coming from 13 years at swift I know what I'm talking about when I say that the DeFi is the future. And and I don't want to ask you any philosophical questions, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, Pavel, tell us a little bit, uh, you know, in simple words, you know, because we we don't have uh, we might have some crypto aficionado in the breaking bank in the breaking banks crowd, but uh, you know, mostly is like uh, traditional investors, right? Uh, what are the opportunities of DeFi? So the, the the ones that you believe are the like the the, the low hanging fruits or the ones that are more sort of appealing. Obviously, the ideas of decentralized finance is to be cut this middleman, right, and have more kind of you know P2P relationship or put control of the finance into people's hands rather than you know being controlled by by a broker or by a bank and and so on and so forth. The the huge opportunity of DeFi is that it, it's global. Uh, so you have uh, clients from anywhere in the world, uh, liquidity coming from anywhere in the world, and different countries have their own challenges, and people living in different countries might have different uh, objectives and might be looking for different stuff. But at the moment, DeFi space is growing exponentially, and I think you've probably seen these numbers. A year ago, there were just 20,000 wallets, DeFi wallets, and at the moment, there are 5 million DeFi wallets. Uh, so it's a huge growth. And I think it, it, it continues growing. And there is 
new things coming up in DeFi space every every month, probably if it's not every week. Uh, the biggest opportunities for for consumers at the moment is uh, yield generation. So you can get much higher interest on your savings with very, very, very limited risk at the moment. You can go higher with the interest if you're willing to take risks and exploring maybe, you know, farming or exploring the, the new blockchains like Solana. Uh, this option is available. Uh, there are a lot of opportunities for companies as well and for startups. Uh, I do think there are a lot of opportunities for traditional fintechs to leverage what DeFi can offer in, in terms of interest generation. It's what we're using, for example, for our product um, to generate like 10% on, on 10, 10 or 12% on your uh, stablecoin saving, which is much higher than you can get in, in traditional um, fintechs. Uh, but there are also the opportunity to start experimenting and building new models with DeFi space. It's uh, early days in DeFi, and with every industry, early days, there are a lot of opportunities and excitement going on. So I think there are, if you're thinking about building your new company, new business, or new uh, business model, I think DeFi might be you know, very interesting area to look at. Uh, last question, out of the more than 4 million clients, uh, customers that, that you have, you know, and I don't even know if you can share this, but uh, it would be interesting to understand uh, what's the, uh, uh, what percent of this 4 million uh, is actually doing both, you know, is actually start or try, you know, the, 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 the DeFi side of YRX? Uh, a DeFi project, we launched DeFi project around uh, two months ago, so it's relatively new, so not all customers uh, uh, tried it yet. It's growing exponentially, so every month we actually double assets under management. So cool. it's, uh, yeah, it, it's very, very, very exciting. Uh, it's quite interesting that some people uh, who is coming from general crowd, when they see that we offer 12% on the kind of stable coins, they, they can't believe it. They feel that, you know, there is something wrong there. It just can't be true. Yeah. Um, but in, in terms of a split, like how many of our customers are, you know, have crypto and traditional, I think 90% of our customers have both. That's super interesting. Yeah. That is super interesting. I, you know, while you were talking, I almost think that uh, there is a new kind of financial literacy that this market needs, right? And, and there is the whole school of uh, what decentralized finance means, not as per DeFi, but also as a new sort of model, right? That is, uh, you know, and I'm, a, I'm passionate about financial inclusion and emerging markets. I am actually investing in the continent. Uh, and, and I do believe that, uh, especially in, uh, uh, in emerging markets, uh, this opportunity of, I always say, you know, I know that if I could easily put money in Nigeria, I would fund immediately with my own money some of the local lending platform in Nigeria because I understand the model, I know they are going to repay it, I trust the data, etc., etc. But today, from Portugal where I live, it's super complicated to put money in a startup in Nigeria. And this is, if I have to explain to my grandma, that's what DeFi would allow me to do, right? That's correct, yeah. But the DeFi has a global reach, right? So that's why people from different countries, they don't have this, you know, middleman, and they can uh, interact and uh, use different uh, financial models.
So guys, I think that uh, this was a super interesting, uh, frankly, you know, company that I didn't know of. Now we all are aware of. Pavel, thank you very much for this super interesting conversation. Thank you. Thank you. And it's a wrap. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.